Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Shrimp and Sivret Show, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Bob Shrimp. How's it going, buddy? How's your week been? Glad we're into the uh, conference finals here in the NHL. And uh, how's things out in Latvia? It's been good. Yeah, it's been good. Um, same stuff, skating, developing players, working, mentorshiping. And uh, it's been good. Yeah, my daughter would take her to more, uh, school every morning. It's been tough, though, I'll be honest with you, with that part of it, just in the sense that uh, even last night I stayed up to watch that game seven. I got to bed at five o'clock in the morning and she was jumping on me at six 30 in the morning for a tablet. She gets her pre preschool tablet going. So, uh, it's been, but it's been good. Yeah. It's been really good. So my, you know, my daughter's going to French school here in, in Latvia and, um, she's now trilingual. So she's two languages ahead of me and now I'm twice outside the group. So, uh, don't speak Latvian, don't speak French. So she's, she's been four, fun. right? She's, she's four. four. Yeah. Yeah. Super, super developed. It's, it's amazing to watch actually. And, I'm super proud of her, love her to death. And and seeing that now as a dad, watching her develop again with different languages, being American, we are very stubborn with languages living are in you? Europe. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I sense a little bit of sarcasm there, baby boy. <laughs> um, you know, so it's, it's interesting to see the development and what difference it makes. So it, it's, as a dad, I'm, I'm super proud and it's been a lot of fun days here being a family man. So how about you? How's the family doing? How's the uh, you know, good year crew? Yeah, I got a posse here. I got a whole line worth of, <laughs> of kids. But what what's uh what's school like there for you? Like, are you does she start? Has she is she in her first year, second year? Like she's second year now. So she started going at three. She's four years old. So this is her second year coming up on the end of her second year. So it's her second year in school. And it's that's pretty cool. And that's I was a little bit shocked too, also how early they start. Um, you know, usually it's kind of just preschool, like daycare kind of stuff. But she's been going to a structured French school, all speaking, uh, speaking all French for two years now. And again, that development's been crazy. If you told me in the beginning, I was kind of like, what's the, you know, I'd, I'd be honest. I was like, kind of like, what, what's the point? Like the daycare, right? My wife's like, you'll see. And then sure as you're sure shit. <laughs> Here we are two years later. She's man, super smart. Again, speaking three languages fluently. Um, it's awesome. She'll, she'll literally talk to me in English, say something, ask for something or whatever, you know, speak English and turn to my wife and, and without skipping a beat, right into Latvian fluent. It's, it's so cool to watch. It's really what, neat. What made you guys do French? Like is, is French big in Latvia or is this just something you decided to, to go with? Yeah. The, their discipline and their structure of their education system is, is very well uh, respected and it's, it's great. You know, they have a great plan for the kids and, and development. And my wife went to French school growing up. Um, so she had that experience. And um, I mean, I took French two years in, in ninth and 10th grade and not proud of it, but I got a 40, 44 the first year and I got a 41 the second year. So I actually regressed. Uh, <laughs> that's about my depth with French. But yeah, my, my wife went through it and she did a foreign exchange student thing with, in France as a young girl and really believes in the system. So I, I let her do the, the decision making there for the development of the kid. And, and I just, so, and when you're, when you're communicating at home, is it, 
is, is Marta always speaking Latvian to her? Yeah. Oh yeah. And then even when we were back in the States, so that's credit to her really, really disciplined uh, by her to do that. It'd be very easy to just stay in one language, but it was as important four- to her to, to have her do that. As a four-year-old, does do things get confusing for her when she if she's jumping from one language to the other? Like, is there anything, or she yeah. just got it down? Dude, she's got it, man. It's unbelievable. Wow. It's sick. It's sick. Like, yeah, it's it's crazy. Like to watch it, it's unbelievable. The switch is on a dime, and it's she's in mid sentence asking for something. And if I'm in the middle of telling her no, she's literally already got the Latvian coming out of her mouth. <laughs> Can I watch TV? And I'm like, no. She's already asking in Latvian to mom. They they said that I could, you know. Because I always say, what's she saying? Because I don't know. So she's like, she, yeah, she's trying to manipulate. She's saying, daddy said I could, you know, it's, it's funny. <laughs> she, she dupes me. She totally pulls it over. So it's awesome. That's funny. Yeah, mine, are, mine are just in daycare of three kids, obviously, uh, a boy, girl, twin, uh, that's four, and, a, and another boy who's turning three this year. So the, the twins are heading off to, to actual school um, uh, in September, but... Uh, they're, it's, it's fun. Now they're starting to get into sports. My youngest guy loves hockey. He has a little mini stick. He smashes it around the house all the time. Um, we have sports on usually all the time at, at the house. Obviously we have cartoons in between, but, uh, it's funny to, to, to see what kids pick up on because, uh, usually when we're watching sports, it's, uh, like hockey will be mainly male. Uh, golf will be mainly male. And then in tennis, it's, you know, male, female, whatever's on. Right. So for us here, time change, we can get that in the morning. Uh, and my kids can be watching it. And it's funny because my, my daughter, if I ask her, like, are you going to play hockey? She's like, no, I'm going to play tennis just because probably because she sees the females on TV and conversely, she doesn't see the females in uh, uh, hockey, like uh, in the NHL. Right. But, um, it, it's getting to be exciting. My kids are out uh, we're playing baseball in the in the driveway or front lawn, and they're shooting, you know, balls and hitting each other, stealing each other's stuff. So it's uh, it's a lot, but uh, it's fun. I'm hoping to to get them on the ice this fall, so uh, get them to learn how to skate and and sort of spend more time in the rink like we need it, you know. Yeah, it's awesome. I think it's interesting that you say that too about the women in in the sports. I think that's the big argument for, for women's hockey right now is they want viewership and that's the thing. So they can be the role model for these little girls and, and, and grow the game. And, um, I think it's huge. I think it's big that they're starting to make steps and pivot this conversation a little bit away from the family to go into the sport. But I think it's, I think that's really important for women's hockey. You know, I'm a big believer in helping them grow and, and develop their game. And that is a big problem. I, but you watched, I did, did you watch the, I mean, they had a showcase in Anaheim, I think it was two years ago before, right before COVID, they had an unbelievable showing in Anaheim. It was unbelievable game. Like just a, the back and forth action. Um, great for viewership, great game to watch as a hockey fan in general, it doesn't matter gender. So it's, it'd be interesting to see how they can get that. So you know, girls like our daughters can have that opportunity, but it's, it doesn't exist right now. And that's the big battle for women's hockey. Um, you know, even seeing like a girl like Brittany Howard in the London area, you know, the way she can shoot the puck and, and plays the game. It's, it's interesting how to get them more. Um, I don't have an answer, but I thought it'd be worth saying, because it is interesting that your daughter, right. She is, finds her role models and what she sees. So, um, I think it's important for the women's game to try to find that viewership. Yeah, we, we have a pretty good nucleus in, in the London area. Like we're, we're starting to grow. Uh, obviously we're getting a lot of, like, you know, the pro skate here for the NHL guys is good. And, we have a lot more OHL players and prospects coming up. And there's actually a few of the, the females that were named to the under 18 team 
uh, from this region as well. Uh, and bring it back to Brittany Howard. We, uh, with me coaching the under 16 team a couple of years ago, we had her come out to a couple of our skates and I couldn't believe like the bad passes that she could receive, you know, yeah, like yeah. behind in the skates, just seamlessly like pink right up. Right. Just, uh, really, really skilled. And like you said, like she rips the puck. I think, I think she might've just signed in Toronto. Uh, I think Sportsnet covered, covered it. I think Elliot Friedman said something about her signing in Toronto, but yeah, the, the game of hockey is so skilled. doesn't matter what gender. And like you said, um, if there was probably more female game on TV, my daughter would probably be a little more inclined to say she was going to play hockey too, but, uh, nonetheless, I'll obviously get her out on the ice with her brothers and see how she can hold her own. Battle it out. Don't come crying. Winner take all. That's awesome. Little guys, yeah. little guys, a pit bull, but, uh, well, he's, uh, usually they're the, the spoiled one, but he's the one that seems to stick his nose in the, to the places he shouldn't go. So he doesn't really have my characteristics. <laughs> I think in, in that he's, uh, I don't know if he'll be the skill guy. I think he'll just be more of a bull, but, uh, yeah. yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun once the, once he gets going on the ice and, you know, it'll just be able to see the little, little Danny Cerretto out there buzzing around. So it'll be, it'll be good. Awesome. Let's, uh, Let's transition into some hockey talk. And what do you think about, uh, you know, some interesting topics going on around right now. And, and I think one that we'd like to touch on would be the, the Calgary no goal, uh, the Coleman, the Coleman no goal. What do you, what do you think about that in the Calgary Edmonton series? Well, well, bias Danny uh, was unfortunately cheering for the, the flames to, to win the series, but uh, I think they did sort of get outplayed. So the better team did win, but the, the watching the game, it was a little frustrating when that, you know, I didn't really deem it to be a kicking motion. Uh, you know, like we, I don't know there's a, whether it be a gray area or what, but like, if you read the rules, like, let me just go to my handy rule book here, but rule 49.2 covers kicked in goals. And the subsection four states a goal will be allowed when a puck enters the goal after deflecting off an attacking player's skate or deflects off his skate while he is in the process of stopping. So let me ask you, do you think Blake Coleman was stopping? Yeah, he was like one leg breaking. You know, he was on that left leg breaking. Um, that was sort of, it, it was a break, I thought. You know, he went to that, again, to that left leg, he was hitting the brakes. That's what it was, in, in my opinion. Yeah, like there, um, there's no there's no doubt he knows where the puck is. And you know, his, in, his intentions were already stopping as he's driving to the net with a D man sort of on him. Right. Yeah, I think his sure. one leg gets clipped by the goalie's right pad, which then puts him just on the, like all your weight is on the one leg. Right. Yeah. And he obviously the, the way the puck, the puck is going into the net, regardless of if he, if he touches it with a skate or not. Right. But he almost follows through with his stopping motion to, you know, make sure that the puck crosses the goal line and i just you know there's there's been some times in the last year and two that there's been goals that have been allowed i think back of the one i think taves scored in colorado uh, a point shot that was kicked out to uh, the goalie's blocker side and it almost looked like he had lifted his foot up to to stop it on his instep trying to like corral it and then we'll go to shoot it but just because the you know, guys skates and boots are so hard that it just deflected back hard into the net. Yeah. It wasn't a kicking motion, but he lifted his foot up to, that's the reason why he moved his foot, right? They allowed yeah. that goal. And then Calgary fans probably aren't very happy as is, but then 
the one Nate Thompson goal uh, in Calgary as well. Like those are two goals that look to me like pretty distinct kicking motions where I don't know if I could have seen a, a Blake Coleman motion to try to kick. There's no question that he knew what he was doing. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. but he's not kicking the puck. It said yeah. this, the, the rule states that you can stop and the puck can go off your foot as you're stopping into that. He was stopping the whole time. So I, yeah. there, it was confusing for me. Yeah. I don't know. It is, it is confusing in general and, and what is, what isn't. I think it's, it's, it's tough because I think an easy answer would be like, just take the rule off and, if you can kick the puck all over in other areas of the ice and then all of a sudden it comes to this situation and you can't, it's not like, uh, it's not like it's that easy to kick a puck in the net. <laughs> it takes a lot of balance and skill and coordination to pull that off. Um, but then there's a piece of it for safety, safety yeah. reasons. I get guys taking drop kicks in the crease. You, you never know what can happen with blades, but it, it is so tricky. There's no, nobody knows the answer. It's so confusing. And then, you know, in this scenario, I think it's so big because it's Battle of Alberta. You know, this goal, who knows? There was plenty of time left on the clock. It's not to say that that was with 0.2 seconds left in the game and it was over, but it was pretty pretty pivotal time of the game, and it was very controversial. Um, I'm sure the Calgary Flames fans are super upset. Um, you know, our producer is is feeling the wrath right now, and now so you predicted. So I'm sure you're not that upset, like a true, passionate Flames fan. But I don't know. This, this rule is very tricky, and, and nobody seems to know the answer, but – it is. It I just find it interesting. I find it interesting that the goal on the, on the ice or the call on the ice was a goal. Yeah. And then it went upstairs, which is in Toronto at the situation room. And they're the ones that ultimately I, th- I think make the decision. Right. So I, I almost wonder like, where is a kicking motion in, in that? I just, it's just so confusing to me. Like it, like there's no way that, you could be stopping. I think he's on his outside edge too, right? You could be loaded up on your one leg outside edge and still somehow find a way to kick the puck with that. Like he's going in with some big force. Like he's getting driven through. He's a fast player as is. He's getting driven through the the crease with a defender on him, clips the goalie. Like he's like, he's obviously trying to stop, not trying to get hurt at the same time. I think he knows what his stopping motion is doing. Yeah. But the puck was going to go, if he didn't touch it, the puck was going to go across the goal line. Right. Like it's not, yeah. it's not like he, it's not like he's doing this eight inches wide of the net and forcing it into that. The, the puck is going into the net. You know, I don't know. I did. It, it was, it was confusing to me. I, I was baffled by how it was uh, allowed. And obviously they still had a chance to win the, the series or the game anyways. Um, I think Edmonton was a, the better team in the, in the series. So they ended up advancing. I just, you know, it, it, if it was a, like you said, if it was a game seven, this four minutes left and that was to go ahead and it didn't like, that's a big, big repercussion or a big change, a big swing in, in the outcome of a game when, you know, the, is it a gray area? I don't know. It was just, it's confusing to me, but really, I didn't yeah, think it he kicked it. Cleaned up. It needs to be cleaned up for sure. Uh, I think, well, I don't know. Or it doesn't. To be honest with you, the attention that it gets and the emotions that it is a, is bringing out of people, maybe it's a, you know, it's attention. You know, it's it's uh, interest. We're talking about it. Other people are talking about it. Uh, you know, Blake Coleman had his interview the other day, and he's like, "I've watched it five hundred times, but yeah, let's talk about it." You know, <laughs> so it's 
I guess it's some controversy and, and some difference of opinion, but it's tough for the players. You don't know. And that that's the emotion for the players. I think is really frustrating. They don't know. Again, they're probably watching They are watching a jumbotron and like, that's a goal. That's a goal. hundred percent. That's a goal. Like, again, no kicking motion for he's stopping, he's breaking and it bounces in. It, it should be. And then the other goals you see through the course of the season, like you said, this Taves goal and uh, Nate Thompson goal are, are, you know, what totally could be argued for kicking, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a gray area. I, I like to see it cleaned up a little bit or, or we just keep doing it and, and keep pissing people off. <laughs> what about these good, these good press conferences? What about the double HF gold medal game? I mean, you were, you were probably watching it. Time zone was good for you, right? Finland, Canada, like that. And yeah, yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was a great, it was a great game and it was, uh, but I think, you know, Canada is, is feeling slighted. It definitely, there was some controversial calls there. There was a high sticking call that was actually, it was not a high stick. And then the final call that kind of cost the game or gave the game to Finland. You know, there's an argument there, but there was absolutely a dive. That should have been a coincidental call, but, problem being is uh shabbat's stick was in it was in there like he had him can open and it was like at that moment where it was he could have used that leverage to can open he just was going to let it go and then that guy realized his moment to like sell this call and he did (laughs) in the ref boom it was very controversial that dive was borderline embarrassing um it's it's funny because the kind of a ballsy play by the finish guy if that ref didn't call that, Shabbat was on a breakaway. He was gone. Yeah, but okay. So let me ask you this one. Like you played over in Europe. I did the same. Do you feel that the officiating over there is more susceptible to influence by the crowd? Or whereas in North America, it's, you know, you hear the, the crowd chanting all the time, like the ref is just going to call the game in part like unbiased right like i'm not saying it was a biased call but like i think just from my experience you can maybe explain that you were there a little bit longer than i was but yeah you know i think from our experience in nuremberg remember that series in the in nuremberg against wolfsburg you know there was plenty to be plenty to chew on there as far as like was there a bias who knows we we played a what was it a six game series and we had uh, t- almost 10 five on threes against and we had one four i mean there's there's argument there definitely i think what's lacking a little bit in the european side with the referees and again in my opinion is this the moments in the game like in that moment in that iihf world championships final game that should have been a coincidental and i think a north american referee would know better to call that that way you know again his stick did get in there so there's a foul but then that dive is like that's that's embarrassing to the game. That's embellishment. That's exactly why the rules there. But I, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's tricky from, from playing over here. There are times when it's the crowd makes calls. <laughs> You're like, what the hell, man, this is nuts. You know? And, and I don't know if they're trying to feed into the atmosphere of the, of the building, the home team or, or, or whatnot. But you know, Finland was the home team. There was some, you know, I guess some energy there from the home crowd. It's interesting, but um, you know, these kind of calls, there's there's a couple, the high sticking call again in the I, in the IHF Canada game, Finland game, and then that call in overtime is kind of suspect. So, but that leads that leads into you know sort of my topic of the day, my you know bring it to the table piece would be about referees, and I think I think it's important to talk about the referees and their part in the game and how, what they mean to the game and um, what I think about it is um, you know they're part of the show. 
this game is a show and it's, it's something not of a circus, but it's, I use it as a circus. There's all sorts of entertainment in the circus and the refs are part of it. And I think that's important to know for fans and uh, not know for fans, but for the fans and how they interact and the emotions that they have with the ref. When this is like a paying customer sort of thing, and it's a, a product, there's, there's that piece of it, right? It's a show and fans come and the refs, do certain things during the game that make them either happy or pissed or also for the players. It's the same thing. What I want to talk about is is respect for referees. When we start, when we start talking about not professional hockey or, you know, international level world championship hockey, we're talking like peewee hockey and Bantam hockey. And I think this is something that's, you know, it's it's getting more and more talked about, but the way that people treat referees is, is in my mind, a little bit crazy these days. And this the series you see in youth hockey, like refs are getting beat up, like punched in the face by parents, getting chased around, like threats to them, like crazy things are being said to referees. Um, and I think it's it's something to talk about, like what what the referee is to the game and how to show them respect. And there's times that you can get mad at a ref and pissed that he made the wrong call and that you absolutely believe that they're wrong. But the, the, what I want to, again, bring up is the, is the fact that, like, at youth levels, how it's crossing a line. In pro, it's just like, you suck, ref, you know, and you got all the chance, and you're blind, and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's part of the show. When you start going to 10-year-old Tommy's game or 10-year-old Sally's game, and you got people yelling, like, I'm going to beat you in the parking lot, rip your head off. Like, this kind of stuff is bananas. I think it's, it's totally wrong. And I don't know how you see it. And you coach a lot, Danny. So I'm sure you see the fired upness and the passion from parents and spectators at these youth hockey events and, and how they treat referees maybe you can dabble on that and, and speak your mind to it. Yeah. Like I, I coach uh, under 16. So kids who are trying to get drafted into the OHL and obviously it's a, a big year for all the players and, and conversely the parents as well. Um, but there, there are some, you know, missed calls and, and things that maybe you expect it to go one way and it doesn't, but uh, I, I try to play be pretty composed on the, on the bench. And, and, and I think that just sort of parlays down into your team as well. Like we're, we're a pretty calm collected team. Uh, there are times when, you know, you, you do get, uh, you know, your mind starts racing being like, what is going on here? But at the end of the day, like you said, it's my, it's minor hockey. There there's no ulterior motive for the ref to try to screw one team over the other. Like they're just doing their job. Um, but yeah, to, to touch on your point of, of the, you know, the aggressiveness and the vulgar language to like, at the end of the day, like this is a per like, yeah, they wear the stripes and have a helmet on, but they're still a person, a human being, right? Like, yeah. like th- this person still probably watches hockey like us, goes home, eats, goes to bed, like it has a job. Like this isn't, uh, this is a passion of theirs probably. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, there, there are some, teams um and and a lot of it i think is is bred i think from the coaching staff i think when you see a a, a team that seems undisciplined and hot-headed it's usually a uh, a pretty good uh, you know mimic of what the the coach is so yeah uh, i i try i try to stay as calm as possible and i, I know i know in the nhl uh, i mean you're dealing with the the best of the best as far as hockey players coaches officials um, so I do know that there's a, a big respect level of, of play. You rarely see, you'll, you'll see a player complain like, no, it didn't, I didn't, I didn't touch him or that, that I deflected it or whatever, but you won't see some of the stuff that, you know, sometimes you'll see in minor hockey 
all over North America. It's, it's the respect level isn't there, but yeah, to, to your point, it, it, I think it needs to get back because who wants the ref if you're just going to get called whatever, like, you know what I mean? Like you're, who would, oh, I wouldn't want to put myself in that position to just have, you know, two, two player, two teams of players and parents and coaches just, uh, you know, on me, like, no, thanks for like 30, for like 30 bucks. Yeah. No, thanks. So it's not really a retirement plan. So it's not like, you know, the financial incentive. And the other thing is like, even, even if there is a little bit of bias by the ref, which, you know, you hope there's not, you hope it's an even playing field. Part of it does go that way. Though imagine if you are refing and someone's calling you this, that, and the other from the one bench and the other bench is just like, Hey, like, do you think that was a trip? You know, there's ways to talk to the ref too. And, and doing the stuff of like threatening their life and <laughs> going to beat them up in the parking lot. You think that's going to like get you the calls you, you, A as parents. And then a is like a, you know, crazy coach on the bench. But that point to where I was trying to go with like how to talk to the refs and have respect for the refs. Like that'll get you a lot further than, than this like disrespect screaming. And then for your point as a coach, like that's how it trickles down to your team, composure, respect, you know, sportsmanship. It's really important. Even if things are not going your way, that, like that's probably the last thing you need to do. You've been, I'm sure you've been on teams. I know I've been on teams where we guys on the bench are nonstop, just every single call, like offsides, the face-offs, bitching about the face-offs, bitching, boom, 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 boom. Like, when do you think, do you think the refs can be like, okay, yeah, these guys are right. I should jump on their side. It doesn't go that way. You know what I mean? It's, it's never going to go that way. So respecting the refs and respecting their role in the game, even if you don't agree with it, I think it's important. Um, but I think for me personally, they, they play a role and I love the refs. I mean, being a centerman, I got to spend a lot of times with linesmen, right? I take a lot of face-offs and shooting the shit with them and, and chumming it up with them. And there's certain nights you're like, Hey man, can you like, can you drop the puck or like, you know what I mean? Like your drops suck tonight. Like not saying like you should never ref again and just saying like, Hey man, can you, you know, butter them up a little bit and be a buddy with them. But uh, I love the role of refs. And I think it's, it's interesting that the emotion that they inject in the game you know what they're called and, and they got a tough job too. Cause at the end of the day, they got to make that decision. Like what's a penalty, what's not. And if they're wrong, they're going to get crucified and the games, the game's not getting any slower either. That's the thing. Like, so people think this is such an easy game to ref. I think it's super tough. The one, the one call in the, in the IIHF game with the, um, with Cannon Finland was the high stick. I mean, it happens super fast. And it happened at a weird angle. The one thing that I would say where I would understand an argument was what I didn't like was the fact that the, the neutral zone referee made the call versus the guy that was standing basically right there. And the other thing is with the international ice hockey tournament, they, they have the refs with those weird cameras on their bucket, right? So you get to see his perspective. So the ref that was standing really close, they showed his camera and he was looking right at it and you could see he had a good view, but the guy in the neutral zone calls it. So that's like that controversy it was like, for me, it'd be like, why are you calling that call? The guy that was 10 feet away didn't call it and you're calling it. So there's, you know what I mean? But that's the emotion that comes in the game. Um, I will, my guess I would be to bring this all together would be kind of how to walk that fine line of respecting the refs, understanding their position in the game and not crossing the line, whether it be a pro or now we're talking about youth, youth hockey. I mean, I played on some teams at peewee level, like 10, 11, 12 years old parents throwing garbage cans at the refs on the ice. It was, I mean, this isn't something that's new. I think it's been around a long time, but like, think about that 11 year old hockey and Montreal and parents are throwing garbage cans on the ice, full garbage. Like, so our playing time had to stop or be 
ended because you got <laughs> banana peels, Coke spilled everywhere, whatever's in there, coffee cups everywhere, all over the ice because a parent was upset about, <laughs> about his son taking like 12 penalties. And the, the truth was, I remember the situation vividly. The kid got like, I, he had realistically he had six penalties. He probably should have had 12 the way he was slashing his stick. Around. <laughs> so, so the dad was actually wrong. This wasn't like a blind ref moment. It was like, Someone had to get this guy to stop swinging his stick. So he just could put him in the box. But anyways, um, yeah, respect Emotion. the refs, I think is important. Yeah, em- emotions can get the best of people, I think. And, and going back to the coaching element, like I think there's also uh, there's also a, a, an area that the refs need to control the game, right? So, and, and I speak it to my team. I've been fortunate. The, the teams that I've been coaching, we've been pretty good. So... Uh, the score, we, this, sometimes the score gets a little bit out of hand and I, I, you know, preload my players up and say, look, yeah, you got tripped down there, but is he going to call another penalty? And we go up nine, nothing, you know, like, and and trying to get them to understand that it's at that point, it's not equal. Like they, they, they're going to get away with a lot more things than we will. Like, we'll we'll sometimes outshoot a team 50 to 10 and they'll have more power plays than us. We have. 80% 80% of the possession, right? But it's trying, it's getting the players to understand that, you know, sometimes things aren't going to go exactly how you want. And this is just one of them where you're obviously win or winning. It, yes, it could get frustrating if you're getting hauled or hooked or whatever, and the, the score is getting out of hand. And then, you know, you make a one handed little slash and you get called for it. Well, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a thing about discipline and it's about teaching, uh, the kids that, and I'm not saying like you, it, I think just the way of teaching that is a way to sort of make them emotionally or remove themselves from stuff that's out of their control. Right. Like yeah, you wouldn't have got, yeah, sure. You got hauled down a little bit, but we're up, you know, by eight and we're out shooting them by 45, but if you would have <laughs> just, yeah. if you would have just back checked instead of one hand swinging your stick in a slashing motion, it didn't impede the guy, but yeah, you went for penalty. So there's your penalty, you know, like, so uh, I, I do get the element of, of, um, of controlling the game. I think there was uh, in one of the playoff series is uh, that when uh, the, the, with Lucic getting tossed from the game, right. Yeah. Like that's, that's a four, nothing score. I think there's like 10, 11 minutes left or something like that. The, the refs just going, you know what, I'm not going to let this get out of hand. Right. So you're, yeah. you're gone. You're gone. Like, it, it did, did he charge? No, everyone sort of knows if he did, he'd still, he'd be in red deer. Right. But, um, yeah, yeah. yeah it was, it's just, uh, it's just teaching moments, I think, especially for, for kids. Right. Like, and I, and I try my best to, to make them play with emotion during the whistles and, and, uh, and afterwards it's got to, it's shut off. Cause there's, there's nothing that's good going to come of it from complaining or bitching or smashing your stick or whatever. Like it's, out of your control, control what you control. Yeah. I think for players, it's, it's super important to learn that you, not super young age, but I think it's important to learn that relationship with the referee and, and how to do it. And it's not buttering them up, but treat them with respect. And again, you can have moments. I know in my career, I had moments where I did, I'm like, that's not a, it's not a penalty, man. Like he's like, shrimp, you had it. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, I, I'm just telling you, like, watch the video after the game. It's not. I promise you, I didn't hook him or I didn't trip him. He, he fell. But just having a, a good relationship and respect-wise, it goes a long way, both for coaching and for players. Again, if you're a centerman too, 
buddy, respect the linesman. You, you don't need to bark at them. There's ways to, you know, kind of, again, work together. Cause that's the other thing. Think about it. If you got to drop the puck in between two guys that are swinging their stick, trying to battle for this and you stand, you got to stay in the middle of it and get that thing down. It's, it's not that easy either. <laughs> you know, you get to think of like this guy, either player could chop my hand, either guy can slash me right in the foot. They're both whacking at the puck. So there's other variables that, that to consider for, as if you're a player, you know, for what the referee's going through, drop some pucks, go do it as a linesman, do it for, do it for even at the OHL level, you know, two 19 year old kids that are like bulls going into a center, into a face-off position. And, and you got to stand there and then you got to try to get out of there before the wingers come in and take you out, you know, it's, it's tricky. So have some respect for the refs. And I think it's just a better way to go about things, both as a coach and a player and learn that relationship, the balance and over the course of your careers, it'll, it'll pay dividends because I'm not saying it's going to buy you calls, but it'll buy you a little bit of benefit of doubt. If you're a respectful player, respectful coach, um, you get the benefit of the doubt. And that's, I think that's a really important thing to, to buy that karma some in some regard stop diving too. I think, I think, yeah. Uh, speaking <laughs> to that, like, you know, it happened in the double IHF. So I think it's getting away from, from the NHL now. And I, and, and I'm pretty sure that if you get called for embellishment, I think you get, you're on like a notice or something for the officials where like, if, if, if someone dives on me and I look like an idiot, because the game is ultra fast, I got to make a decision split second, like, bang penalty or no penalty. Right. I have to make that decision and stick with it. And then I obviously go and I watch video too. If I'm a ref, you know, I'll go watch and see, Oh yeah, he, he dove on me. He screwed me. Like I look like an idiot because you dove on me. Right. And you like the human element plays a part of it. You not think the next time I officiate a game with Rob shrimp and Rob shrimp goes down, like, "Mm, did you get high stick? Or yeah, did you dive on me again? You know what I mean? Like, so I think, I think just the honorable way is just to play the game hard. And I think it's getting a lot more like that. The officials are good. They got a keen eye. They can understand the game, the situation. Uh, and then if, if guys are, have tendencies of diving it, it, it's just going to hurt them. Right. But no, yeah. I think, uh, I think the, the respect level level in the minor hockey area, um, should needs to, uh, elevate a bit. And, uh, I know in the NHL, the pro level, there's a lot more respect that goes on. You won't see yeah, there's heated moments, right. And, and the, the official's job is to diffuse it. And, um, but you won't see some of the, I things. love it. I, I love it. I love those moments when you can hear them on the hot mic, like someone's barking at the ref and he's like, shut the, I love it. I think it's great. I think again, it's part of the show and it's as a fan, watching it on TV hearing that. I don't know. I like that part of it. It's pretty cool motion. And you see that back and forth and it's, it is like the players barking. The guy says, shut the F up. And then the player does, he just goes and plays. I like the, I like Wes McCauley. I, I love that little bit of extra uh, personality in the game from the ref. You know, when he makes his calls, I, I don't know. I love that piece of it. It's entertainment. And at that level, it's all about, it's not all about entertainment. I shouldn't say it's all about entertainment, but entertainment's a huge piece of it because that's what, that's what drives the ship sales you know you heard mckinnon say it in this interview that i loved it and he's like they were talking he had to speak about mcdavid what he thought about him and he's the best player and and he goes i i've been here i have to you know i see all this stuff but it doesn't really matter to me it's great for ratings and i hope it drives escrow down (laughs) so that's you know it is a business so the entertainment piece of it is is valuable having a referee like that you know when he makes his calls i I love it man he comes over and he's too busy Roughing, you know, it's just, I think it's, I think it's brilliant myself personally. I enjoy it, but, um, 
I, I was a little bit show time remember, in my career. Do you remember um, in the A, Terry Koharski? Yes. Yeah, yeah, Terry Koharski. I, yeah, yeah, I remember him. He's a very veteran, Raph. I, I, yeah. I, I used to like uh, in between periods, you know, I would always, uh, once you come out off of the flood, you skate around and I always go over to him and sort of like try to like give him a stump buster. Like, you know, it, I got a question here. If, if there's a delayed penalty and we pull our goalie and we have possession in the offensive zone, and my guy goes to center the pass and it gets deflected off of their D man and goes down into our net. Is that a goal or no goal? Like they didn't have possession, but they, yeah. they were the reason why it went in the net. Right. Or like yeah. if, if <laughs> we get it called for delay or too many men, if we get too many men on the ice, right. Can I just now put more guys on the ice? Like, am I, you're going to give me a double minor? Cause I got 10 guys out on the ice now. <laughs> right. Cause if you think about it, yeah. a lot of, a lot of the times it, you know, it goes, <laughs> You know, there's a, the arm goes up because it's, it's, oh, they got called for too many men. Well, what's the guy, if I jump on the ice at the wrong time and I'm the sixth guy on ref puts his arm up, I jump back into the bench, right? Well, why don't you just go back out and just play six on six so that at least you're not going to get scored on well yeah. with, right. Or what, what's stopping me from opening the door and sending another guy out? Like, are you, you going to give me four minutes or am I going to go down five on three? Cause I was too, too many men or do you killed it? <laughs> do you kill the play? Like things like that, where it's like, you're trying to circumvent the, the system. Of it. But I, I remember uh, in the, in the minor speaking of refs with personality, Terry has a, a big one, but um, when there was a scrum and guys are pushing, shoving face wash and whatever, it's one of those things, like no one's really do it. And then, and then all of a sudden he's like, fight, fight, fight him. And like both guys sort of look over at him. Like, me like the refs yelling, telling yeah, us to yeah, fight yeah. and it yeah. just stopped them right because they're like yeah he like called their bluff like yeah and they just sort of like okay that's enough <laughs> back but it was I, I was on the ice for it and i was dying i was like oh my god he's and then it just diffused it because the guys are like well the ref's telling you to fight and they're like then they just like completely stopped them but yeah he was he was always fun to be on the ice with he's uh, that's he's hilarious a, he's a character but yeah talk about ref with personality but yeah he was good Oh, that's good. So what do you got for us today for, for table talk? Well, you see it a lot with hockey, um, you know, in playoffs, guys grow out the playoff beard. Um, I, I know a lot of guys have certain routines or maybe they just get into habitual r- routines of doing something that sometimes turns into a superstition. So I just wanted to bring to the table superstitions in hockey um, and how, how sort of odd it is and maybe which players can you think of that you either played with or against that always had strange things or what you had like for yourself to so, like, I think that the common, the common one for a hockey player, at least at the pro level is you, I don't think this is a superstition, but you usually go to the same spot for lunch to eat and you order the same meal, at least. That's what most of the guys that I played with um, did. But, so, you know, sometimes it can come to, oh, we lost when I wore this suit, which I think Sportsnet covered it with Corey Perry. I think they he wore a gray suit and then they lost in it against Toronto. And then he's been wearing this maroon one ever since and when winning. So it's like, you know, like, does that is that going to make you win wearing a maroon suit, brown suit to the game? Probably not. But in, in our heads, it's like, if I don't wear the suit, we're for sure losing, right? Like yeah. what, what did you have any as a player? Uh, and, and were there players that you were just like, Oh, I can't go near this guy on a game day. Cause he's just so out there, you know? 
Yeah, for me, no, I, I did really, I guess the routine would be more about it, you know, I, but I wasn't picky about it. So I, I wouldn't call it a superstition because I didn't care if someone messed it up. That's the thing when it becomes kind of a little bit batshit crazy. If like a, an inch of it gets screwed up and they go, I can't, play, you know, I can't, I can't do it, can't do I can't go on. <laughs> That's like, now we're talking about a borderline issue. But for me, I didn't have anything. I did tape my sticks, you know, roughly the same time. I used to, you know, I used to play baseball catch before the game so it was really relaxed routine and but i think you already mentioned in paris Corey perry was probably the biggest one he had a lot going on for that pre-green it would call it a routine but it was a superstition because he did it the same way every single game every single second was counted for and i remember trying <laughs> it's not very nice but trying to screw with it he used to come to the room in london and he just was like a little bunny hop and then like touched the all three yeah he still does it opening to the door and i remember one day we we tried to stack the goalie pad so when he when he did it he would just bail you know (laughs) he was not happy about it and it was not it was nuts to me because it was a lot of uh i don't know it was a lot it just seemed like a lot to have to remember you know like do you think for him like i wasn't the biggest superstition for me probably i would eat pretty much the same or approximately the same time probably the same type of food yeah. Um, the only thing I did that was probably a little bit different that you would think is, you know, how when you t- tape your stick, I, I would tape my blade of my stick every game. I think most players do. Some guys do their knob. I, I would make when I cut my stick to my length, I would do the knob and I would put my number on it and I would never touch that the knob again. The only thing that I would do is I would flip it on the on the backside of the, the knob this down the spine. I would. I was a big wrestling fan growing up and I would, na- I would name each of my sticks as a, wrestler. <laughs> yeah, as a wrestler. That's like nutty dude. So like, so like I always had, and I, I would never repeat them. Right. So I'd have like King Kong Bundy. I'd have gold dust. I'd have stone cold X-Pac like sting, you know, like I have macho man, <laughs> <laughs> razor Ramon. Like I'd have, I'd have all these, you probably don't even know who they are, but I, I was a no, huge, I, know. I watched WWF when I was, yeah, I was a up. huge wrestling guy. So, I, for whatever reason, would that that would I don't even want to call it a superstition, but I guess if I'm doing it all the time, I guess it is. But I, I don't think it would have affected the outcome of my game, right? But but I guess now that I say that, there were times where usually you have like three sticks in the rotation, right? Like yeah, so, yeah. you'll have three active sticks. You'll practice with one or play. And I remember if I scored with one, I'm like, whew, the Macho Man's hot tonight. <laughs> like I gotta go back to the Macho Man. He's, he's oh, that's funny. He had, he had two assists last night. I can't not use the Macho Man, right? Or you break one, you're like, oh my god, the big show just broke, <laughs> right? That's but, funny. But yeah, back to Perry. Like I saw him do it with the uh, in the series. They caught him in Toronto. Uh, caught him. He does it all the time. It's not like you're catching him. But I don't know why he does this. He like touches all four areas of the door when he walks out of the room. I don't know. Like, it's like, what is this doing? Like, we should ask him. We should have him on and ask him. Like, Cor, yeah, what's that? After, after messing with it and seeing how pissed he was, I was kind of like, just leave that alone. <laughs> you'll, you'll never tell <laughs> it. I don't even know if he knows what it, what, what, but I think it, yeah. it might be just something that, I mean, he's played a ton of games, right? So it might be just something that he just does naturally. And it's just like, okay, you know, it's, it just makes you feel like you're in it. It's everything's consistent in his Game mind. On. Yeah. Right. But goalies are usually weird. Uh, I don't say weird, but they have weird tendencies, you know, where you're like, okay, can't talk to this guy. Can't, this guy's water bottle got to be certain way. And 
just oh god don't touch that roll of tape because that's his you know but, yeah just just tricky man because they're you know they're an individual they're they're individual inside a team sport so yeah. whatever their routines are you really don't want to mess with it you know it's it, they are i don't know if i'm saying that right but it is the truth they stand on the crease they're by themselves you know it's a different lonely spot yeah different type, a lot of visuals visualization stuff pregame and stuff like that and then other players do it. i remember shane harper in, in portland like he had like an hour-long warm-up i remember saying with him, like man you gotta be exhausted by the time the game comes it was an active active warm-up man like holy shit like stick handle like crazy for like 30 minutes then he had the bands on and then he had like a whole backpack of stuff and i was like dude like that's such an intense warm-up man like again i'm just thinking like yeah for me it was it was more just like tape my sticks visualization of what i thought i was going to do that night who we're playing against okay i can dangle this guy thinking the things in my head thinking the game and more quiet and relaxed and you know then I, for me i like playing ping pong to be honest with you or playing baseball like just throwing a ball easy peasy just you know kind of warming up warming the body up a little bit with those weight transfer motions of throwing a ball or playing ping pong it's like a it's like a competitive thing. Get your juices going and hand-eye coordination. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that I like to do. Again, that other like doing an hour-long warm-up was kind of it was it was bananas to me. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. I'm like, I, don't yeah, know I would, like, I would like to do that. I was a guy that would always read like the media notes. So I'd come into the room and just sort of every every game. There's media notes on the players. I'll have their stats every year they played, where they're from, like uh, a sort of a bio of them. And I like to yeah. to read about the competition. You know. sometimes I like to have some ammo. If a guy wants to chirp, I could go back with, Oh, it's like your third year in, in, uh, Rochester, one goal all year, like something (laughs) when they're like, wow, this guy knows me, you know? Yeah. So I like to have that, but yeah, speaking of important, that ammo is really important to have. Huge to have one just to shut them up. And they're like, whoa, like, you know, you you come back with a witty one and they're done. Right. But yeah, we, I I played with a guy in, in, um, in Philadelphia, Blair bats that he, he would come in to get ready and he's leaking. Like, I'm like, oh, you're going to play. You're so you're going to play now. You're just where <laughs> you just had a full workout. Yeah. But, he, but to his defense, like this guy played hard, right? Like he was a, a warrior out there. And, um, you know, I guess sort of transitioning into the playoff series now that we're in the conference finals, like who, who do you see that's going to stand out for, uh, individually for, you know all four teams remaining like i i like the way that this cop's been playing in in new york yeah i think he was a great pickup he's free agent i think he's his stock is just continually climbing i liked him when he was in winnipeg Uh, i I love his i love his like i love his aura like he's got a very calm aura to him you know and he does a lot of things right little things like the goal last night uh fox's goal like that was that was him he went to the net he made traffic and then that caused the defensive uh, defenseman from Carolina to come there. And that, that was, that was like the secondary screen, like the little things that he does. And I, I don't know. I just like his aura. He's got a really calm demeanor, um, calm, confident demeanor. And he's also very effective. Like he's very skilled, very quietly skilled. I th- in my opinion, the way he does things, he's shot is like, when it comes off, it's a missile, dude, he can rip the puck. And he finds those soft areas in the middle of the ice, very smart. And he's good in the corner. He does a lot of really good stuff. He's a, he's a very good depth player. I don't want to say depth. I don't know if that's the right word. Cause that makes it sound like he's a third or fourth line guy. Like he's man, he's putting points up and he's playing very, very well, but to yeah. your point, sorry, piggyback on that. I, I love the way he's playing. He's sick. Yeah. You know, I think, I think they've been getting great output from him and that young line they, that they got, that they put together in New York. What do you think? 
what do you think of that? Like, you know, usually you, you don't want to, you're sort of scared to sometimes put young guys together because you're like, oh, inexperienced and you need to, I, I think they are reading off each other well and they're just yeah. going out and playing. Like, they're fun yeah. to watch too. Like, they're, they're a big reason why that team has excelled and gone as far as they've gone so far, you know? Yeah, they're, they're putting a lot of pressure on. They're pushing the pace. And they, like, to your point, they read off each other well. Uh, I think that that's a, a good thing when they're all on the same page in some sort in their career, you know, they see the game kind of similar, you know, they, I, I think the chemistry is very, very strong there where it could go the other way when they're put on with a veteran, they're expected to do this or that. And it's maybe a little bit more expectations from them and they might not be able to achieve that. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or again, as a couple of young guys, we're on the same level. We're in the same boat. Let's go do our thing. And then I think it, once you get that camaraderie, that chemistry and that line, that that's really strong. It can go the other way too. You know, it's, you can have all three of them just throwing pizzas all over the ice and turning it over, but that's not the case. You know, not in this case, they're, they're playing really well and they're driving zone time, offensive zone time, driving the other team, you know, back and back and back. And, and they're not putting up super big numbers, but they're getting scoring chances every shift. In my opinion, they're, you know, they're really creating a lot of stuff, a lot of buzz. Um, and then you get those big dogs to come out, uh, Panarin, Savannah Jed, uh, Kreider's playing sick, Strom. Those guys are like the expected guys. You know, the, these young bucks are um, kind of filling in that secondary wave right now. And then those guys come on. They're doing a great job. I mean, you saw it last night. Strom scored an un- unreal goal off the rush. Uh, Kreider had a nice tip-in goal, nice breakaway goal. Savannah Jed set that that break, the power play setup goal uh, for Kreider, the first one. I thought that was sick because – we talk about chess match all the time in this, in this show. And, and that's, how, you know, I think Danny and I's philosophy, like we talk about it all the time. We always talk, this is a fast game of chess and you got to play that chess game. You think about that situation with Zabanajed. He took two one-timers before that two shots. And one was a one-timer. One was a shot. I believe, I think it was two shots right before that. That was teeing up that backdoor play. Cause I thought the, like that made the goalie be like, man, this guy's ripping everything. And as soon as the, the third one came around, boom, he rips it back door. And, and that was an absolute setup, right? He set the goalie up with those first two wasters. And then the third one, boom, he tees up that play. I thought it was brilliant. Um, and again, going to our, our philosophy on this game of chess that we talk about often. I think it's, it was a, a very smart play by Savannah Jed and an unreal touch by Kreider. You know, that was a pretty sick touch. He got his kind of leg out of the way to open up space for that tip, open up his body a little bit, boom, hands are directed in nicely. So anyways, Sorry to go off on a rant there. No, about the and he, he's he's powerful, man. Kreider, like his his point A to point B acceleration, and like he's a big guy. He's explosive. He's strong. Like powerful stride. Like I don't know if there's a, another guy in the game. I know McDavid's fast, but like from straight line from stop to start, this guy can go. Like he's a horse. Yeah. You know, like he's. It took him. He, it took him time to figure it out, man. And I've been paying attention to them for a while. Good friend of mine, a good friend of mine, Dominic Lucarelli is is a huge fan of the Rangers, so I'm always watching with him and picking it apart and stuff. So, but over the last couple of years, it took him time. Like this year, he scored a ton of goals. Right, 52 goals, I believe it was. But the last couple of years, he was kind of lost, and I feel like he's finally found a fit now of understanding like his surface is that ring around the net. You know, almost like Perry's same thing, that net front area. If you watch the majority of his 52 goals, it's a lot of touch plays. And it's around the net and they're like these little tip plays. I think he was lost for a little while trying to play too much like skill, trying to create plays. That's not his game, you know? And, and that's really, he's like a 
he he's a bull because he comes in like with that speed that you're talking about, drives defensemen back, drives the rush back, or, or excuse me, drives the off the rush, drives them back. And then those skilled guys get to come as the secondary and create those skill plays. Where again, a couple of years back, I felt like he was trying to do way too much. Now he's just realizing like his area in the offensive zone is, is that little circumference around the net. Just stay in there and get evasive, use that strength, use that body position. And now he's got to just put little touches on the puck. You see a bunch of them where Strom put in some nice plays during the course of the season. I, I think I did a diagram on it. Actually, we'll upload it to our YouTube channel and on our socials. I'll, I'll show you exactly what I mean. But he's, he's really gotten very smart about positioning himself so those skilled guys can make plays like Zibanejad did. Where I, where I see a lot of the issues with players, not issues, but like guys make a mistake is on Kreider's first goal last night, they would just keep skating mindlessly towards the shot. And then eventually when the shot comes, they're standing right in line with the goaltender. So where are you going to tip it in? Kreider's smart play, patience. He stayed in a position where when that shot came by and beat the goalie, now he's past the goalie. He's in a spot where he can just boop, tip it in. You know what I mean? That little bit of patience and kind of hockey IQ has started to develop. And again, I'm going on rants today. I apologize. I'm hijacking your shit, but. I, I like the way he's playing. I love the way he's playing. They got a lot of good stuff there. It's true, but fun to true, watch. But true. Like I know the back end is is pretty strong uh, in in New York, but like true, I think Truba is like a force to ride. Like he's blowing guys off. Like he's a <laughs> yeah. he's a guy. Like yeah. he he, yeah. he has that. He's a big guy to begin with, but like he has that weight transfer. I, I could never do it when I played, but like just you know, some of these guys just seem to explode into their body checks. And he seems like one of those guys where guys are getting hurt being hit by him. Right. They're not, they're not like vicious, malicious, trying to injure. They're just body contact, big, heavy hits that are guys. The Jarvis Jarvis hit was, was money. Like it was money. I know it's, it's tough when you say that about a player, when someone gets hurt, it's really tough to call it a money hit, but like, dude, elbows down, stayed on the ice. And he's just a brick shit house. Like, Mm -hmm. That's the fact of it. <laughs> Any time yeah. to write, like there's, it wasn't one of these things like, well, guys got to have their heads up. He had his head up. He made the play. And then Truba just had a very good timing piece to it. And he brought that big frame over inside the rules. Boom, makes the hit. And that's like, man, when you get hit by somebody like that, that hurts. Usually the open ice hits are more humiliating than painful. His open ice hits are hurting people. Yeah. That's like, that means that he's timing it right. And his power is getting transferred into the hit right on cue. You know, that's the, like I said, like the other one, usually it's just kind of a guy gets you and you go down. It's like, Oh, it hurts my feelings, but these guys are getting, these guys are getting hurt physically. So he's doing, yeah. And that's the other thing too. I think with him as well, coming from, I think it was, uh, Winnipeg. Yeah. He came from Winnipeg. He came in as kind of a big ticket and they gave him a lot of money and his game was kind of like searching for that, like how to add that value. And it was, I think it was a little bit too much expectation of offensive he's not an offensive defenseman in my in my opinion why like he's exactly what we're talking about right now like it's pure shutdown throwing big hits um safe hockey simple hockey but for a while like he was playing on the pp i don't see him that way uh i just see him as this you know as a tough hard-nosed defenseman and in the playoffs he's doing a perfect job like what's the value on that when a guy can throw clean body checks like we talk about when I'm talking about this, there's certain guys that don't understand how to not cross the line, right? They usually come across, make these hits or make plays in the playoffs that wind up in suspensions. That's not valuable. A guy that can make plays like this, like hits like this and be physical, like he's being are super valuable because, and it's hard to say, but in the playoffs, it's a war. 
And it's like, when you can take one of their pieces off, you know, you're advancing territory. And no, that's it's, it's, yeah. It sounds barbaric, but that's what it is. You have a seven game series, like, and you're, if they were you doing a dry cycle. Yeah. If you, yeah. If you can legally, you know, finish a check on a guy that per, puts them out of the game or series, like that's, uh, unfortunately that's what playoff hockey is about. Right. And yeah. And just in speaking with, with playoff hockey, like the performance by uh, the goaltending on the East side, you know, like he, you have Igor who's early on was like a little sluggish. And now he just seems to be like somebody say, and he's not a big cat. And then you, and then you're going to go to the other end of the ice. And then you got another Russian down there. Who's a monster, arguably the best closer in, in the game of, <laughs> of hockey. Like this Mariano is Mariano Rivera. He's a Mariano this a Rivera. Series, this is going to be is. a good series. Like I, I like the way Tampa's constructed. Obviously it's easy to say that when they've won two years in a row now, but they're, their back ends big. They're, uh, they, they're getting some, you know, depth scoring. I think Kucherov is going to be a big part of this coming series. It'll be interesting to see how the, uh, the Rangers can handle him. But, you know, I like, I, I think the, the four remaining teams are like, this is going to be good. This is good hockey, you know? And then you flip it. Yeah. We've touched on Tampa a lot, like obviously with the, with the Toronto series that happened and obviously they sort of steamrolled Florida a little bit unsuspecting, but then you head out West and, I, to me, Edmonton surprised me coming through. I think, uh, obviously, the the two big dogs there are are massive. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do against uh, you know a, a good skating Colorado group. And uh, I, you know, there's a lot of question marks out in Edmonton with goaltending. And I I just think Mike Smith like this is his. He's gonna bring it. Like you're gonna you're like I don't, everything he has is is out of like hard work and effort and obviously a fellow wrestler lover. So uh I think <laughs> I think he'll be a big part of the series and I think uh I think he's up to it. It'll be a that'll be a good series. Like um you know co- Colorado too that's that's a team that sort of everyone earmarks to to win the Stanley Cup. And you have Kadri who you know sort of surprised people throughout the year with his points but He's a playoff guy. He's like awesome, he, man. He's that's a playoff the thing that's guy. kind of I was referencing too. The Cods does borders that line, and it's tough. Um, he's taken some suspensions in the past, and and being able to bottle up because the thing is, he's a skilled guy. But that when the playoffs come, man, he he lights up like a firework. It's it's awesome. But there's like you got to rein it in a little bit too. You know, like this again. That's not value in you know, he's going to be sitting out for four games in a series from a suspension from a like a hit that you don't need him to make. You know, like whatever, like a high cross check or a sticking up for a teammate cross check and a guy that that was Toronto days. And I think he's evolved. Hopefully he's evolved. But um, his energy that he brings is is amazing. I love watching it. He's an amazing player. This year was an amazing year for him. Uh, he, he really brought it. And then also with the crap that happened in St. Louis, what he had to go through battles, you know, battles through it, I'd say. And I don't want to make it. Um, I think that's a tough thing to land on his plate, having sh- stuff like that thrown at him he comes out and buries a hat trick like i don't know there's certain moments that you can really highlight or certain moments for an athlete when they have i don't say a choice but you can make a choice like what am i going to do like this is bad like that stuff is terrible like what people were saying to him and and the threats that he was getting is is bullshit like it's terrible i don't know who would even if i didn't like what he did to my the team a player on the team that I liked, like at what moment you open up a message and say the things that were said, it's just nonsense. But anyways, he made a choice to come out 
and and bring the heat and, and rise to the occasion. Guy scores a hat trick on the road, and and I thought it was it was great. But he's he's an X factor, I think, in a series because uh, I don't know. It's you got again, you got some studs there in Colorado that are bringing it every night and expected to. And and Kadri is, I think, he's almost secondary. So like him and Landis got are that secondary pieces that are super valuable, and they add so much depth. Uh, he's versatile. He can play like a physical game and block shots and do everything it takes to win. And then he can light the lamp three times in a game. So this is very versatile. The way he's, he's, annoying, he's annoying to play against too. Like in that, that in a playoff series that like you saw, I mean, obviously there was an incident that knocked Bennington out, but it, that, that sort of took the one game. St. Louis was just so struck on trying to, get redemption on him. Right. And, yep. and to touch on what you were saying, like, I, I think unfortunately throughout his upbringing, he probably ha- had to hear a lot of, or not had to, he did hear some things that I think it just made him this like very strong mentally where he's like, you know, I don't need to respond. I'll just do it on the ice. Right. And that's there. He's got a hat trick. And, uh, and then you, you had talked about Landis cog, like this guy's, I, this guy's a really good leader. Like there's, yeah. there's, uh, he wanted, he, there's not a lot of, you know, European captains, I don't think, but he, he is a guy where I'm like this guy, like he plays so hard. He is not, he's skilled. He's big cat. He's not afraid to toss him. Like, I think, I think he, there's a bit of a scrum last, uh, against the, in the Dallas series. And he just grabbed Klingberg and started throwing. I think they're, they're both from, so he, like, they're like probably yeah. teammates and, like at, at all <laughs> levels. And I'm just like, Whoa, yeah. this guy, you don't care. Like he's just going. Yeah. He's, he's great. He's, and he's been, a, he, I mean, he got the C put on and 20 years old, I believe it was, I, I, I hope I'm not misspeaking, but it was like 20 years old, young captain, uh, having a chance to play in Sweden, a couple of years, the, the development they have there and, and the maturity of players is unbelievable. You know, I think my last year playing there, I was 27. We had like 16 year old kids, 17 year old kids that were living alone in their own apartments, cooking everything for themselves, which I, I don't know for me that like thinking about us back in junior, mm. I mean, even living with bill families, we still had to be reined in, you know, <laughs> like, you know? So I just think that that was amazing to me and to see the, their maturity level at a young age, they grow up, they very respond, very responsible culture. Um, and then as hockey, their, their, the development in Sweden has been unbelievable. Uh, there's a ton of high-end Swedish hockey players in the league in the NHL. And then if you watch the SHL at all, like that hockey is, is in my opinion, uh, second best league outside the NHL, as far as the type of hockey and, and the depth of the league, the players and how skilled they are, how fit they are, how mature they are. And it's, you're starting to see it come over. The drafts are, are really filling up with a lot of Swedish players, but Landis Scott is, is one of is that, that product of that. And the way he plays the game is super, super responsible. Um, very strategic and very team oriented. And it, I mean, it's no, no surprise that that's why he's got the C on. They obviously realized that at a young age and here they are now with that sort of team that's come together and, and they got a lot of, a lot of good pieces to, to have a chance of winning and everybody's picking them, um, to win. And I'm sure there's a lot of pressure, but I, I could see, I don't, I don't know personally, so I'm not going to pretend, but I could see him being the calm in the storm there and keeping expectations balanced and making sure it's, you know, a workman mentality in the locker room and not getting out of themselves. So he's a, he's a hell of a piece and it's tough. And I don't say he's tough, but I don't know if he gets enough credit would be where I'd go with that. A lot of the, you know, McCarr and obviously McKinnon and what they do on a nightly basis. That's it's hard not to give them the praise because 
they both make highlight reels, just like Dreisaitl and McDavid every shift, pretty much. McCarr jockstraps a, a forward or <laughs> goes end-to-end almost every shift and threatens the net. So, um, yeah, it's exciting. This series is going to be awesome. I'm, I'm super excited to watch it. There's a lot of hype around it. And uh, I, I just like the continued downplaying by the superstars of each other. You know, <laughs> no, he's the best. No, he's the best. No, I really like his game. No, I like his game. Nobody wants to get bulletin board, uh, bulletin board info and, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's interesting. Uh, yeah. I like, you know, I like that part of it. I love it. If they came out totally off, off the cuff and be like, oh, I'm the best. <laughs> you know? Like, No, I'm the man. No, I'm going to be the MVP. This, this McKinnon is, is tough to handle though for, for a decor. Like, yeah. like Edmonton's got their hands full with McKinnon. Like this is a big cat, big horse, and he moves fast and does things at high speed. Like you got to have good gaps and be strong. Cause he's, you know, he's taking the puck to the net on you, you yeah. know, like he, he's uh, like, obviously the team's good for a reason, but he's a guy that throughout the playoffs I've been watching and I'm like, Holy cow. Like, you know, when he gets the puck, it's like, I'm just waiting for him to do something. Cause something is going to happen. You know, like he's that, that end, the end, end goal in the St. Louis series. First of all, his, his, like the speed he built up was unbelievable. And what I would touch on there is like how simple that was in some regard, like it's just simple, like pick the puck up, power, speed, crossovers through the neutral zone, take the route attacks with speed. And then, then the magic happens once he gets over the blue and that play he made on the defenseman was sick. goes inside, turns his feet, turns his stick, pulls it back to the outside, tucks it in really tight, very tough angle to get that way his body was positioned like that's sick like he can stick handle in a phone booth is the expression it's it's unbelievable how he does that but in the beginning of the play again coming through the neutral zone picking up the speed and very simple planning out his route and then like to your point how would you actually stop that the guys get shot he is like shot out of a cannon now, what what is his like what's his size what's he like six two like two something roughly yeah he's two something and he's like, like two ten two fifteen I'll, I'll look even. He's a, he's a bit, he's a powerful he's a, kid, man. Yeah. And it's like, explosive power. Like I think McDavid's is a little bit, obviously it's a different type of speed. McKinnon's is power. Like it is, his legs are, are churning and he's got massive tree trunk legs and that, you know, McDavid's more shifty and, and speedy. I think his is like the difference of a guy that shoots. I think the, maybe the analogy can be made like the guy that shoots a, a quick and accurate slap shot versus a guy that shoots a heavy slap shot, you know, like a, a Shea Weber clapper versus, let me give me, I don't know if I can come up with one off the top of my head. I'd, I'd probably use myself. <laughs> my clapper was accurate and quick, but Shea's Shea Weber's could like go through the boards. Yeah. How hard it was, how heavy it was, you know, but no, yeah, it's, it, we're, we're, we're lucky that the, you know, the four teams remaining and it's going to be all, it's all good hockey. Like it's going to be, and I think it's good for the league too. You know, like it, you you have big, yeah. you have a returning team back to back, going for their third in Tampa. You got the Rangers in the Big Apple. You have two dominant individual players and uh, going head to head at West. Like it, I, I just think that the the, the conference finals are going to be good. I hope I hope they're all good series. I hope they go, you know, six or seven games as a fan to watch, but. Uh, either way, like I, it, it'll be, you know, I'll be glued to the, the TV every night. So yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting time for, for hockey and, and 
and you know, you're into de- development. I, I coach kids as well. Like there's so much to be, to be taught and, and understood by just watching the game, you know, like how, like if you're a kid, if you're a kid that wants to be a hockey player is a hockey player trying to be, have hockey get you somewhere you have to be watching this, the hockey don't, don't watch highlights, watch how the game develops and how good all of these players, the good decisions they make, the, the responsibility, the support, the defensive awareness, you know, puck placement, you know, it, it, this is like at the highest level of, of hockey. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to see that, that how, how well the game has evolved and continually keeps evolving. And, you know, like that McKinnon, that McKinnon goal to me, I was like, I, I don't know if I've seen a goal that good, like individually, just yeah. raw power and, uh, and at high speed. Like it reminds me of the one that McDavid had a long, long time ago, where he just sort of knifes through everyone. And you're like, holy cow, you know, yeah, Winnipeg the- Jets goal. He scored against yeah. Winnipeg, he knifed through him. Then he knifed through the Rangers, actually. So we did it twice in, in like the span of like two days. I think he does a lot. It was all the buzz. I mean, I got on the buzz too. It was crazy. He went through, yeah, that was sick, the Winnipeg goal. But that's to your point too, Danny. The the I think what's what's super important to piggyback what, on what you're saying is 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 also when you watch the game, you see the investment in the decisions that players make. When you watch the highlights, you see the end result, like the end result of what you wouldn't have seen of five or six other decisions in other shifts that it takes to get to that highlight reel and figure out where the hole is going to be, you know, cause it's not always going to be there. You watch the highlight and you're like, Oh, that's, I'm just going to get it and go end to end. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, is that he picked that puck up. He found the weakness. There was nobody on that left side. He exploited that hole four or five shifts before that. It probably wasn't, you know what I mean? There was different decisions made smart puck decisions, investment in the game and uh, in, in your decision-making. And you can't get that from the highlights, watching the game, watching how it, develops is super important puck management decision making patience on when you attack and when the right decision or when the right timing is to make a play and also when the the timing is to not make a play you see guys make mistakes it's not always about the the highlight real stuff and you know i jump on it a lot and break it down a lot but it's also the bad some of the bad decisions that guys make you see that you know through the course of the game like a D-man trying to force a play that they shouldn't have made it, maybe could have made it simpler play or again, forward trying to go through end to end and they turn it over and you see what that result is as a young player. That's super important to understand that and watching it can give you that, you know, that information, that detail, and that might cut down, you know, it's because a coach can't give you, like you can speak to that. You can't give them everything. You can try and you want to, as a coach, give them all the information, but sometimes the players have to invest in, in what they, you know, how they learn about the game or what they know about the game. And that's stuff like this, watching full games is super important. I think, I think it's down a little bit where, where there's a lot of other distractions, like, you know, video games and, and social media and phones are very much available. So it's tough. But like, again, if you're serious about the game, watching a, watching a full 60 minute game is, is there's so much information in there. Cause that's the best of the best. And it's, you know, it's not only just the playoffs too, during the regular season, like watching those games fully and like seeing what does, again, like how the players manage the game, a player that you want to be growing up, you get older or that you envy watching them through a full 60 minutes is super important to watch how, how they manage a game as a left winger, as a center, as a right winger, whatever it might be, the D man, but yada, yada, yada. But and it doesn't, and it doesn't stop either. Like I, like, you know, from texting buddies who are still in the playoffs, like they're off nights. 
they're they're watching the other teams playing you know yeah like yeah. they're like tampa's watching the rest of that carolina ranger series you know pick up on some things on their own obviously a coach will assist and everything but yeah it, it's a it's a constant education component right and uh and, and i'm interested to see how edmonton handles um mccarr because he just he he's he plays the game a lot different like I, i've watched him a lot he he walks the blue line very well he he he's always in a constant motion to shoot like he never takes a slap shot he's always sort of in a big pump big pump big pump and he almost baits you into trying to block the shot and it freezes you up and then he just and he sidesteps you and attacks right like i think that i think the, the way that i would try to defend it or tell my forwards to try to defend it is you're in that shooting lane don't worry about blocking the shot he, he rarely takes a slap shot just be in the shooting lane and try to corral him you know like a sheepdog just try to keep him on the outside of you and don't bait or bite on anything that he does that's gonna freeze you up like keep your toes open to to don't like there's a don't close yourself off and and be in a position that i gotta block this shot if it hits you it hits you you're in the shooting lane right but he, he rarely takes a, a slapper it's always hands and feet and go and go and like and even on on neutral zone regroups if i if i'm if i'm going on if i'm up against him I'm just going to play a lot more passive. It's like, look, you, I'm not forcing you. You're going to not use your legs to beat us. You got to move that. You got to distribute the puck. Cause a lot of times in the neutral zone, it happens over and over and over again. He picks up the puck and just goes, and he's got such good skating ability that he'll, he'll beat you up the ice. He's already beaten you with his, with his legs. Whereas if I'm defending him in Edmonton, I'm just going to be like, you know what? You got to move the puck, distribute the puck to beat me because I'm not allowing you just to skate up the ice with it. Yeah, yeah, his forward skating is unbelievable. That's, I mean, one of the his main uh, is one of his main assets is the way how well he skates forward, how fast he can accelerate from transition from backwards skating to forward skating. Go, you know, some some D man can do that well where they can explode, but then they kind of their stride falls off. What I what I think about is his stride is sick. Forward skating stride is so strong. And he just gets faster and faster. So it's, it's a, yeah, I think making him distribute the puck and, and dish and go, um, getting it off his tape and not making it a track meet because he wins, you know, same thing with McKinnon too. He wins the track meet. So um, I think that's, that's an interesting point. And I think it's going to be, I mean, I'm, again, I'll probably be staying up. I'm going to be a zombie for the next two weeks, staying up until five o'clock in the morning watching these games, but I think it's well worth it. I, I, that's the thing I watch him the next morning too. I always wake, wake up and do my homework and watch the games, but it's, there's something about being watching it live and watching it happening. We talked about it on the show and you talked about it, how you like being there and watching it live. It's just a different atmosphere. You know, it's a different feeling watching that game live than watching it the next day, daylight, already knowing the score, but it's going to be awesome, man. It's great hockey four great markets, four great hockey markets and a lot of great hockey players. So huge opportunity for, for players that want to learn and, and see what it takes to win. This is the best time of year, man. And it gets so exciting playing for that cup. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty good. And, and I know you had some interaction with uh, your social media, Twitter following. I know a couple of the fan bases have been reaching out to you, trying to uh, get you to sort of go over some clips for uh, certain players or situations and everything. So uh, I'd like you to jump into that. So if you're, uh, if you're listening, fall, you'll have to jump onto our, uh, social media, whether it be uh, YouTube or Instagram, uh, to watch Rob cut down some video. 
Ari Trumpy, our, our buddies at Points Bet Canada, uh, helped me again this past weekend. I chose Denny Hamlin in NASCAR to Ooh. win Ooh. The, Char- the Charlotte 600. And it was at a very exciting race. I watched it, uh, obviously, because I had some skin on it. But uh, it came down to the last couple laps, and there was a huge wreck. And he somehow squirted through the carnage. Days of Thunder? Days, Days of Thunder Days of Thunder-esque. Thunder-esque. Ended it's up amazing. winning for me. I think it was uh, the payout was eight times for me. So I was pretty fortunate with that. But as far as hockey goes, uh, I think all the series are going to be good. I think the, the goaltending is going to be phenomenal uh, on the east side. And I, I just think Kucherov thinks the game at, a, at another level. He is in attack mode all the time. The puck comes to him. It's just distributed quickly and uh, almost uniquely that where it, it catches a lot of defenders off guard. His shot selection is sort of odd in, and he'll just shoot from anywhere and low, like it surprises you. I, I'm going to take him on the over for points in every one of the games that Tampa plays. Yeah, I like that. You know, he's, he's dynamic. Um, I think for me, I would go, I saw a nice stat line for, for uh, Con Smythe, Vasilevsky, plus 550. I like that one for the overall. Um, I think that would be where I'd put my money. That's, I think those are really good odds right now to get in at. And he's playing unbelievable. We talked about the goaltenders. They're, they're both playing very well. And Vasilevsky as a closer is sick. I mean, his numbers are stupid. So I like that as an overall bet. In the series, I would take. Uh, I like the individual player bets, and I, w- I would. I would ride Cal McCarr. I think he's going to have a hell of a series. I think Edmonton's going to have a hard time with him, and he's going to be producing a lot. I, I could see, just to go smildly into it, I, I could see McKinnon getting boxed out. You know, it's not going to be easy, but it's it's a little bit different where McCarr is going to be coming up with secondary wave of offense, and he's going to be able to jump in and create a lot. So I think they're gonna have a tough time with Carr. I like the individual bets more than the, than the team bets. I don't have a vibe on the on the team games, and you know I'm usually like a minus one and a half better. I love those. I love those plays, the adrenaline that it creates. But these series are, are, are a little bit tight for me. I like the individual bets better. So I'm I'm gonna ride Cal McCarr in this series, and I would bet him on the over for points every game. Nice. If you if you like uh, what we're talking about, if you want us to cut some clips or you have some questions about on ice stuff. Reach out to us direct, uh, either on Twitter or Instagram, at Rob Shrump, at Danny Sivret, or at the Shrump and Sivret Show. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Shrump and Sivret Show. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nation Network YouTube channel to watch all of our video breakdowns. 